The reading this morning is taken from St. John's Gospel, chapter 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him at the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that. Do keep your Bibles open if you can as we look at these words. Why don't I begin with a quick prayer. Lord God, as we come to these words, living words, spoken by your Son, Jesus, speak to our hearts so that wherever we are right now, whatever we think of your word right now, we would find ourselves coming to the bread of life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a few years ago reading something uh, from Venezuela, from a, a news report. It was from the agricultural minister, Freddy Bernal. And he said this, There is a cultural problem because we have been taught that rabbits are cute pets. I have to admit, my, my ears pricked up because I do think of rabbits as cute pets. They're the only pets I've ever owned. Bernal continued, A rabbit is not a pet, it is 2.5 kilos of meat. Now, the context for that was Venezuela was very hungry, struggling to come up with the food that was needed, and it's almost therefore a grim joke. When is a rabbit not a pet? When you're hungry. Bernal's wager is that if I were hungry enough, if you were hungry enough, you wouldn't see Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, or Peter, you'd see 2.5 kilos of meat. 
because hunger changes things. Hunger drives you, and hunger keeps you from seeing things as you would when your hungers are satisfied. The reading we just had is all about hunger and what it does to drive people, and all about where that hunger could take us. So we're going to look into these words and think again about what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life. And when Jesus says that, he speaks to all of us, everyone in this room. The crowd who are coming come hungry. They're looking into him. And it might be that that's where you are this morning. You're looking into Jesus, as it were, from the outside, seeing whether he is all he says he is. But can I say this crowd were not just made up of people who would have put themselves on the outside. In that reading we heard, they identify themselves with the Bible story. They say that their ancestors had eaten manna in the wilderness. That's something that God did for his people as they wandered in the book of Exodus. These are the kind of people who would choose to be at church on a Sunday morning. So wherever we are this morning, Jesus speaks to offer himself to us, invites every one of us to consider our hunger and where it might be taking us in life. Two things for us to see this morning. Here's the first one. Hunger leaves us desperate. Something you can see in the behavior of this crowd. Hunger leaves us desperate. I think you see that at the start of the reading, verse 25. When they found him on the other, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. At first, it looks like this crowd are asking innocent questions. Well, when did you get here? Fancy seeing you here. But if you know something of the backstory, there's every reason to believe that they're after something. See, just the day before, Jesus had fed many of this crowd, thousands of them, and done it in a miraculous way. With nothing more than five loaves of bread and two fish, everyone ate. Everyone was satisfied. And now everyone is back for more, looking for yet more food from Jesus. And they've taken the long way round Lake Galilee to get there, asking for a sign, presenting themselves as if it were spiritually seeking. What sign can we have? And it turns out, actually, from the reading, they're pretty specific about the sign they want. Verse 31, they say... uh, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat. Hint, hint. Is that the kind of sign we could have again? And it's easy to think that they're being cheeky, but actually there's something a little bit worse going on, something darker than just that. They say they want a sign so that they can believe. Verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? But just think about what they'd seen the day before. They had already seen the sign that they say they need to see again in order to believe. They have seen enough. They weren't lacking for evidence that Jesus is the one he says. But their hunger means that they're asking unreasonably for yet more, for another sign. They have enough to believe, but they won't. Verse 36, Jesus calls them out on it. As I told you, you have seen me, and yet you still do not 
believe. Hunger is driving them. Hunger means they're not seeing straight. Hunger means that they're becoming unreasonable. I wonder if you've ever experienced the power of hunger to do that in your life. Perhaps even a very literal level. When I'm hungry, I sometimes find myself standing in front of the fridge without any knowledge as to how I got there. That just happens. I don't know if that happens to you. Hunger seems to be driving them through life, setting the agenda for them until they're filled. And that's because hunger is a glaring reminder of everything we lack. Yes, shows us that we lack life in quantity. Because if we don't eat, then we die. Hunger reminds you of that. But also, it's a glaring reminder that we're lacking life in quality. There are other hungers than the kind you can fix with an open fridge. Think about your hunger to belong in the world. Your hunger when you meet people for the first time and you want to stand out and impress them. Or perhaps you just want to fit in with them and meet whatever standard they have. Think of that hunger, perhaps when you're alone in your room or scrolling through your phone, and it's so clear that everyone else is having a wonderful time except you. A hunger for life that doesn't just go away, a hunger for more. I wonder if you've ever had that hunger, if you know those hunger pangs. Jesus is speaking to that hunger. Jesus is identifying that in the crowd. That's why he says in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is saying to them, physical bread isn't going to satisfy your deepest hungers. So stop working yourself to death to get it. Find the food that feeds the real you. And of course, it's not just physical bread that won't do that. There are all sorts of places we go in our hunger, longing to be satisfied. And so rarely does it ever work for us. I wonder if any of you have read the, the books written by Emma Scrivener. They're brilliant books. There are two I've really enjoyed, A New Name and A New Day. And in both of them, she speaks about the challenges of, of mental health and eating disorders, the very literal kinds of hungers that we face and that we sometimes fixate on. But she points out that even those reach somewhere deeper. She says in that book, A New Name, this hunger is something that I've always felt, not just for food, but for everything, from money to recognition. More is the cry of my heart. Give me more. The emptier I feel, the more I need. She continues, the word anorexia means loss of appetite. This is a stunning misnomer. You're dominated by your appetites for affirmation, acceptance, and everything you want but can't quite get. She knows exactly the hunger that Jesus is talking about, that hunger for more that isn't just hunger for food, but the deep hunger for a life that satisfies us. Jesus is focusing on those inner needs. And here's the cruelest thing about our inner hunger. It's so often at the very moment when we should feel satisfied that we realize that we are hungry still, hungrier than ever, that the thing we went to for that affirmation or acceptance or whatever it was isn't enough and we want more. 
Now, I don't think it's controversial to suggest that there have been too many Pirates of the Caribbean films. But the first one was very good. I, I really loved it as a child. And there's a moment in it which actually draws this out very powerfully. The, the main bad, bad guy pirate, Barbosa explains, I think, to Kira Knightley the curse they're all under, which is quite a, quite a good curse, it turns out. He says this. Basically, as pirates, they found a hoard of gold coins. It's a good day if you're a pirate. And so they did all the things you're meant to do. They went and spent them in, in, in loose, piratical ways. But then things went wrong. He says, and I won't do the pirate voice. I think that'll be offensive to someone. Anyway, <laughs> the more we gave him away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy. The food turned to ash in our mouths, and all the pleasurable company in the world could not slake our lust. We are cursed men, Miss Turner. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. That's a, a very real moment in an otherwise completely fantastical film. Compelled by greed, and then in the end, consumed by it. Hunger feels like a curse. It feels like a curse. We're driven to consume, and then in the end, we're the ones who are consumed. And it's not just Disney pirates who know that. Truly successful people come to know that too. And I wonder if any of you are in the room this morning or watching online. Truly successful people with high standards who set them and meet them and then discover that they haven't arrived. That whatever it is they thought they'd find turns out to be over the next hill. Turns out to be the next set of goalposts. Turns out they're still hungry. So what do you do when you're hungry? You keep going. You keep looking. You travel all the way around Lake Galilee to get your next fix. And you are driven. That hunger leaves you desperate. You work harder and harder, go farther and farther to find what will satisfy. And you can hear that desperation in the crowd. Verse 28, they ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? They're so hungry, they say they'll do anything. Just tell us what we have to do, Jesus. Just give us something to satisfy. And Jesus will. He will give them something to satisfy. Here's the second thing I want us to see. Jesus ends our hunger by giving us himself. Jesus ends our hunger by giving us himself. Jesus speaks directly to our desires. He zeroes in on our hunger for life, and he's not embarrassed about doing that. He presents himself unashamedly to hungry people as the bread of life. That's quite surprising, really. You could contrast it to other religious traditions. Take, for instance, Buddhism. Like Jesus, the Buddha also identifies the ache and hunger of desire. But unlike Jesus, the Buddha's solution is very different. He reached enlightenment by realizing that hunger showed the extent to which everything in reality was an illusion. And the fact is, he was too attached. And what he needed to do was transcend his hunger, to be less attached to the things that are ultimately illusory, and in fact, therefore, to desire less. And it sounds very spiritual to those who try it. It's a solution to, to rise above your hunger. But Jesus offers something so different. 
and perhaps so much better. Not desire escaped, but desire fulfilled. They're looking for a sign, and Jesus tells them to seek the bread that God will give. And they want it. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? Your desire is not something you have to ignore, and it's not something you have to escape. Don't pretend it's not really there, hoping it will go away. Your desire can be fulfilled. Your desire is for something real and good. It's for me. Jesus says, come to me. Discover the end to hunger, the end to thirst in me. And he does that by recalibrating their hunger for bread. In these words, Jesus is trying to help this crowd realize physical bread is not the thing they're really looking for, not the thing that will satisfy their deepest craving. And so he reminds them that the bread is only a sign. That's the thing about signs. A sign is not the destination. It just points you that way. That's why verse 27, he says, don't work for food that spoils, but the kind of food that endures to eternal life. Food that spoils, because if you like, you can go back to Exodus and see, manna rotted if you tried to keep it longer than the day you were given it. Manna rotted, and in the end, so did the people who ate it. In verse 49, which we didn't have read, Jesus says this, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. He's saying again, physical bread will not satisfy your deepest hunger. Stop working yourself to death to get it. Come to me to find the food that feeds the real you. And that's why you'll notice in our reading, Jesus does not do the thing they want him to do. He does not provide the physical bread that he did the day before. He had done that for them when they were hungry to show them the sign pointing to him. But now he will not do that. Why? Because he's too loving to do that. He will not coexist with the things we substitute for the bread of life. He does that in our lives too. He will not coexist with the things we go to to substitute for him. Whatever that might be relationships, success at work, any number of things, money, he will not allow those things to be put on the same level as him. Because were he to do that, he knows we would only be left hungry. He reminds the crowd the bread is just a sign pointing the way. And he recalibrates our hunger. Hunger feels like a curse. But what if it's also a clue what if it's meant to point you to something else? I don't know if any of you have seen the, the film Moana. It's a Disney film. Perhaps if you have children, you had an excuse to watch it. But even if you don't, it's an excellent film. And there's a moment where the heroine sings this. I know everybody on this island seems so happy on this island. Everything is by design. 
I know everyone on this island has a role on this island, so maybe I can roll with mine. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along. But the voice inside sings a different song. What is wrong with me? She has that tension between her calling to lead on the island and a sense that she belongs somewhere else and needs to escape. What is wrong with me, she asks. Maybe nothing, Moana. Maybe your hunger is a clue that you were made for more than playing along on the island. Maybe you were made for the open sea. And in fact, that's what the film goes on to show, that actually that longing and hunger within her is something that her people need. What if that's what your hunger is all about? What if it's a clue that you were made for so much more than the things you settle for? What if the reason why nothing we turn to really satisfies in the end is because we were made for much, much more than any of them? What if the truth about you is so much bigger than time plus matter plus chance that actually nothing in this world is good enough or big enough to make sense of who you are? What if you are that precious? What if you are that important? What if you are made for something so glorious that only the God who made everything could ever satisfy you? That's what Jesus says. And by the way, that's the outrageous thing about him in verse 35. He says he is the bread of life. Like no other religious figure you'll ever encounter. He doesn't just say he'll show you the way. He tells you that he has God himself come to be the way, as he says somewhere else. He won't just find a source of bread or point you towards it. He says he is the bread and invites you to come to him to feast that he alone can satisfy the hunger of every human heart. How will he do that? How will he do that hunger-ending work? There are so many things we could say, perhaps even many from this passage. Let me just zoom in on one. It's in the amazing promise he makes at the end of verse 37. He says there, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That is Jesus' promise to each one of us this morning. Because Jesus says that the thing that will end our hunger is his welcome. As we come to be accepted by him, and as we come to enjoy him for ourselves, that is where our hunger ends. He promises that the satisfaction we long for, the kind that lasts, is found in him because our hunger is a clue, because we were made for more than anything in this world can satisfy. We were made by God, for God. And the problem is that we are cut off from him. The reason why hunger feels like a curse is because it is. Because each one of us with the kind of attitude that this crowd show, are so good at taking good gifts from God, but ignoring him, the giver, putting him out on the margins of our lives so that we can be at the center. The attitude the Bible calls sin that underlies so many of the things that you and I recognize as wrong, things that ruin the world we live in, things that we hate when we see other people doing them. That's why we're left hungry, 
Hunger is the curse that follows being cut off from God. And that's why Jesus can end our hunger, because he is God himself, come to people who have rejected him to welcome them back, to restore them into the kind of relationship they were made for, so that he says to them as he says to us, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Deep down, the fear of rejection that so many of us harbor is the thing that haunts us and is the thing that keeps us hungry. All the achievements we're mounting up, they're because we want to be the kind of person you could accept, the kind of person who would belong wherever we think that should be. And the fear of rejection is the thing that worries us so much. That fear of rejection is met by Jesus with an amazing welcome. So that he looks at us and says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. An offer that is unconditioned. He doesn't say whoever comes to me and has done this much. Whoever comes to me with this kind of attitude and obedience. Whoever comes to me and has got it all sorted, well, we can work with that. We can take it from there. Jesus does not say that to us this morning. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He offers that kind of welcome. I've had the tiniest glimpse of that in becoming a parent. I don't know if you've ever been around a child who has just thrown up. It's not a great situation. There's the smell and, and there's the, the chunks, and you think to yourself, I need to stay away from this. You keep them several feet away, and you think, where is your adult? Who can I give you to someone else to? I don't want you to be my problem. And what's remarkable is how different it is when it's your own child. I really surprised myself when I found this. One of my children threw up. And I didn't find it disgusting at all, although objectively it was. I just wanted to go over to her. I just wanted to pick her up. I wanted her to feel better. None of the mess was visible to me at that point because she was mine. And I love her. I wouldn't do that for anyone else's child. But for some reason, I find it instinctive to do that for mine. And that is just the tiniest, tiniest glimpse of the welcome Jesus offers. He's not turned away by the mess that is so obvious to us when we look, perhaps even the mess that is hidden from us because we don't look. He never rejects us. He longs to embrace us, which is why at the end of John's gospel, he will open his arms to embrace us on the cross. That is how far he will go for us in his love. In verse 51, which we didn't have read, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And then he makes it really clear, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's how far he will go. He will face the spiritual consequences of our rejection of God. He will pay the price himself so that we can be restored, so that we can receive this welcome so that we can know and believe this promise, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Because in his death, he pays the price. That means that when Jesus looks at us, he sees us for all the faults. He knows all about them. And yet still longs to welcome us. Because in his death, he has paid. And what's wonderful is, he promises to keep us to the end. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. 
So he's not offering bread that'll rot for people who'll die in the end, but the bread of life for those who will live with him forever. As we finish, I wonder what your hunger is for today. I wonder what that looks like for you. In a room of this size, I'm sure there are many bread of life substitutes we're settling for. Things we're latching onto, hoping that they will deliver. Let me ask just two questions about them that you might want to take away today. Firstly, when you get it, can it fulfill you? Or will you find yourself waking up the next day having to do it all over again? Will you find yourself getting your hands on whatever it was you longed for and then realizing it just isn't enough? Can it really fulfill you? Second question, when you fail, can it forgive you? If you never manage to get your hands on it, if you never manage to reach it, if you never manage to be enough, where will you be left? Where will you be left? Whatever it is, can it fulfill you? Can it forgive you? Because the beautiful offer Jesus makes is that he is the bread of life and he will do both. As you come to him, you will discover the life you were made to live. And you will discover that the embrace that welcomes you for all the faults that you might bring. You will discover the one who can end your hunger. And that means the striving can end. Maybe you need to hear verse 29 again this morning. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. According to one source, some of the Buddha's last words to his disciples were, work hard to gain your salvation. According to John's Gospels, John's Gospel, Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. Because the hard work to gain salvation has been done. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it? We're going to finish in a moment with a prayer. But just before I do, hear again Jesus' promise. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whether for the very first time, or whether again and again and again, he is not keeping you at arm's length, and he welcomes you this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you see our hunger, the hunger that comes from being separated from you, a hunger that only grows when we settle for less than we were made to know, when we turn to things that are not you. How we praise you for the living bread who has come down from heaven Jesus, your son, and for his welcome, for his arms spread out on the cross so we can believe that whoever comes to him, he will never drive away. We come to you now, Father. Give us, we pray, whether for the first time or again and again, a sense of how welcomed we are in your love of how precious we are to you. Amen. Just before I go, do please, if you've come along and some of this is new to you, come along to Christianity Explored and find out more. And feel free to take one of these leaflets as you go. I think they're on the doors you leave. Just to flip through and see a little bit more for yourself. That would be a great thing to do.